It's time to listen to a teaching of the Vivify Ministries. It is our joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. All right, here we go. Put your money where your faith is. Put your money where your faith is. Like, when... When I heard this topic, that there are a lot of things that came to mind, a lot. I'm going to talk about like the different thoughts I had about it. So, first off, what does the word Christian mean? What does it mean? Right? The first time this word was ever used was at Antioch. They saw followers of Jesus and they, <laughs> they just, you're like, oh, these people are Christians. And the word means Christ-like. Christ-like, Christ-like in every aspect. They were able to look at these people and know that, oh, these people are different. These people are Christians. They're like Christ. They're like that guy that was killed. <laughs> when, when was it? Right? And they, they knew, they knew that there was something different about these people. Right? And, uh, you know, growing up, we heard that Christianity is a religion. Christianity is a lifestyle. Right? But now we've even come to know more clearly that Christianity is even more than all of that. Christianity is a life. Hallelujah. Christianity is a life. We have received a new life in Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have received a life. Do you, do you understand what that means? Like someone, like we were dead and someone literally died our death to give us life. Praise God. There was nothing like we were defeated before it even started. So there's nothing we could have really done. We didn't even know that we were dead, right? But then, this is what God did for us. He gave us a new life in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Just point on that for a bit and just thank God. Thank God for new life. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the life that we now have in you. Thank you because we are no longer dead. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Father. 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 Oh, you are wonderful. Oh, you are wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we have received a new life. We have received a new life in Christ. Hallelujah. And there are a lot of things that a new life entails for us. And we have to. We have to know what those things are. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, let's just proceed with the study. Now, Christianity is also a miracle of changed desires. Miracle of changed desires. Why? Because when you come into Christianity or when you see the life of God, it is, it is an exchange. It's an exchange. You are leaving off that old man and then you are putting on a new man. Hallelujah. And then there are certain things that come with that. It's an exchange. So it's a miracle of changed desires. And one of the first change, changes that you experience, right, is how you handle your possessions. And I can show you this for sure. How you handle your possessions. Right? So let's open our Bibles to Acts 2, 44 to 46. Acts 2, 44 to 46. Are we there? Acts 2, Acts 2, 44 to 46, right? Let me just paste that in here. 
right? Okay, so I hope you guys can see it. Acts 2, 46. And this is what it says. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So do you see, like, this was, let me give us some context. This was after... Um, Peter had preached the gospel, right? After they were they were in the upper room, and then the spirit of God fell upon them, and then he just people were like, "Oh, these people are drunk! Like, what's the time in the morning? And these guys are already drunk and all of that." And then Peter begins to just teach the gospel, teach the gospel so powerfully. It started from <laughs> our fathers, you know, and then he talks about Jesus, whom they had crucified. And then he lays it down for them that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus has died for our sins, right? And hearing that, people were added to the church. Some people were added to the church. And then immediately after that, this is chapter 2, and then look at what happened now. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Oh my God, what a life. What a life. I would have thrived here, man. Like, saying that I don't like cooking again. I would have thrived here, you know, just to be enjoying some people's food. Just, just forget what I said. <laughs> so basically, you can see that these people were, like, they just, they wanted, they just wanted to share their possessions with everyone. They wanted everybody to benefit from what they had. There was a change of desires. Their desires were redirected. All their priority was redirected towards something else. Right? Hallelujah. And remember we said Christianity is a miracle of changed desires. And we've just used the scripture as sort of a case study for that. Right? Um let's open our Bibles to Luke twelve fifteen. Luke twelve fifteen. Let me put that up. Luke twelve fifteen. Luke twelve fifteen. Um now that I'm looking at the scripture I'm thinking that we should probably read like some of the uh context to the scripture. So I'm just going to put up like from verse thirteen. Yeah. From verse thirteen. Let me do that now. Or if anyone can, you can just put up the scriptures for me. But till I see someone do it, I'll just be putting it in. Mary, okay. This is 19, and then 20 and 21. Praise God. So, um, let me give us uh, some of the context. So what was happening? So Jesus was giving like some warnings, you know, talking about he who acknowledges him before others is the one that is going to be acknowledged before God, but whoever disowns him will disown before the angels of God. Uh, and then, you know, he was at the synagogue and all of that. And someone in the crowd now said to him, so let's read the scripture. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Oh, let, let me read that again. It says, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, Oh, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. The very this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who gets what you have prepared for yourself? Don't mind me. <laughs> Don't mind me. So the sense one now says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Hallelujah. I just had I like initially we're just meant to read from verse we're just meant to read verse fifteen, but then you can see from verse thirteen to twenty one it is there's so much uh, richness, so much things to pick out on here, right? And then you know they are squabbling, they are squabbling over like uh like <laughs> inheritance. And then Jesus is telling them, he's correcting them and he says, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Greed there is actually the word covetousness. If you read other versions of the Bible, you see covetousness. And he says, Life does not consist, Luke 12 15. Luke 12 15. Life does not consist in the abundance, in an abundance of possessions. This is such a, a mindset to carry, right? Because Especially like <laughs> with the way the world is now, you know, everyone is always hustling, everyone is always trying to store up and then to blow and be the next biggest thing and just have enough, you know, even to show off and all of that. And then Jesus is telling us, life does not consist in the abundance of things you own. I feel like some of us have to just, like, even me, like we just have to tell ourselves, we just have to pause right now and tell ourselves, life does not consist in the abundance of things I own. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then you now see the the story of the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool. At the end, there's something so powerful that says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, money is actually a stethoscope for our hearts right uh there's a lot you can tell about a person by how they handle money or what they think about money or even their drive towards money right and then anytime you always see money you always see it's always linked with greed covetousness right because they are just they're just so closely tied and even uh greed now is now even a form of idolatry and i'll show us in the scripture is even a form of idolatry and those three just closely knitted together and then you see god say jesus will say oh you cannot serve money and god you cannot you cannot serve two masters and those things are always like they're just always together right so let's open our bibles to ephesians 5 3 ephesians 5 3 
Ephesians 5 3. Ephesians 5 3. Are we there? Ephesians 5 3. Okay, so I'm going to read so Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. Right? Someone has put it up. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Um, so, but like, let me put up the rest of the scripture. So Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. Uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesians and then he says, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, and then there's like, there's a hyphen there, and then such a person is an idolater. So you can already see they're linking covetousness, greed, with idolatry. Hallelujah. See, such a person is an idolater. I just lost track of where I was. I think Susan deleted her scripture. Okay. Such a person is an idolater. Has, sorry, for this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral person, impure or greedy person, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Hallelujah. So, it links it with the sin of idolatry. And then yes, you know, we don't have big sins or small sins, but idolatry is you're literally putting something else in place of God. Idolatry is when something else takes the place of God in your life. And then for a lot of us now, I mean those days, uh they would have statues that they would go and bow down to, you know, you pray to and like when you think about it, you think about the foolishness about it, where you're worshipping something you created like it's just it's crazy something you put together and all of that it's just crazy they would worship animals or they worship they worship created things like you're worshiping your fellow created thing right so it was just crazy right but now the devil has made it so uh it's it feels so modern now that different things can be idolatry your phone you know social media the apps that you use I mean, for some of us here, if we are being true to ourselves, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing, you just open your phone and you just check in, oh, let me even check, how many tweets, how many retweets did I get, how many quotes did I get, uh, how many likes did I get, so, so picture, like, well, it's just a huge cycle, and then, you are just going back, maybe like every five minutes, every four minutes, always going back, ah, okay, oh, what's, what's, oh, what's, uh, this, what's happening, right, and then, if you measure your screen time, because most apps can do that now, you can measure your screen time and then you see it, you just see six hours, you spend six hours on a particular app, right? And then how much time did you will spend praying that day or studying the Bible that day? It's crazy, it's crazy. And it, you, you don't know until like when you now actually measure it. So I'm just saying, idolatry now 
It's just it has taken a, a more subtle form, which is actually more dangerous for us, right? So we have, always have to call back ourselves. We always have to reassess. Oh, God is priority in my life. Oh, I worship God. I don't worship all these other things. You have sometimes you have to take time off those things. You have to take time off the apps. You have to take time and just collect yourself in God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's let's continue going over a few scriptures. Matthew nineteen. Matthew nineteen. Let me just put that up. We'll read Matthew nineteen sixteen to twenty four. Matthew nineteen sixteen to twenty four. Matthew nineteen sixteen to twenty four. And this is such a it was a fun, <laughs> it was a funny story. I will not lie, it was a very funny story. I'm going to read it. So uh, let me read from verse 16. So just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, "Teacher, in case you're looking for the scripture, this is Matthew 19. I'm reading from verse 16. 16. I'll read to verse 22." So in case that's not up yet, let me just put that up. Okay. Then Jesus then Ooh. Sorry. I think I tried to post the scripture. It didn't go. Okay. Okay. Let me put 16 up for you guys. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry that I cannot, like, no one is putting up scriptures. It's because, like, there's a lag. So, I think you guys are hearing me after I speak, which is fine. But yeah, just follow through. So, I'm just going to read. So, from verse 16, this is what it says in verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then this is, and I do be a lot of us always thinking oh what can i do what can i do oh what can i do so no yeah yeah you, you think you have power yeah you think you can you can do something and save yourself that's what that's what you're thinking right you, you don't know better <laughs> okay and then um jesus replied jesus said why do you ask me about what is good there is only one who is good if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Right? And then, oh, Jesus. Jesus was, I don't, I don't know the word to use, savage or just, there's just something about the way Jesus replied people. I, I pray for that level of wisdom, you know. And, <laughs> and the guy is asking, like, Jesus, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The guy says, oh, God, I, I've kept all of this already. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, <laughs> he went away sad because he had great wealth. Beautiful. <laughs> Imagine yourself in the position of this guy now. 
imagine yourself in the position of this guy now, right? And then you are hearing all of this. So imagine yourself, you're in this guy's shoes and you're so rich and then they tell you, oh, what you must do to enter heaven, go and sell all your possessions. And then the guy is just, he's just down and all that. He's just, He's just like, how this guy tell me this? Like, what's, what's, what are you saying? So I just can't say all the way, all my possessions. The guy leaves, he leaves very sad because he had great wealth, right? And this, exactly what we're saying, how possessions, money is just a, a, a stethoscope for your heart. Imagine if Jesus was someone like, uh, let's say, let's say this guy now is just on, Big CEO and like normal CEO, just I don't want to call names. Like, just imagine he's one of those CEOs in quotes. And then Jesus is like, or Ted Dollar, or is like Dangote, right? And Jesus is like, oh, uh, oh, let's let me use Dangote now. And Dangote is like, okay, uh, you want so so and so, come and sell everything you have and come and follow me. Find you. Dangote is very rich. Very rich. I mean, if Dangote told me I should sell all I have right now, me, I would probably do it. Because, like, I don't have so much. Probably just my laptop. <laughs> but, yeah, that was what Jesus told him. Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. And, I mean, for Dangote's case, if Dangote was one saying it, you know, it wouldn't have been so hard, right? So, money is actually a stethoscope for your heart. Right, and for this guy, this guy doesn't understand some of the things that we're about to understand this evening. That our lives do not consist or consist in the abundance of possessions. Hallelujah. Let us read another scripture. Let's read another scripture. Let me put it up real quick. Let's read another scripture. So we're going to read Luke 19. Luke 19. Luke 19 And I mean a lot of short people Would know this story Very much So you like come to the bible You know to just give yourselves hope <laughs> If I somebody stole me for real I'm so sorry I'm so sorry Yeah like <laughs> We all know, when When we hear the name Zacchaeus There's just there's only one thing that comes to mind that you you can you want to lie about it and say that it doesn't come to your mind, but it does, it does, and then it will it will really done. It will still come to your mind now. So <laughs> Luke 19, I'm going to read. It says, "Please open your Bibles. Please open your Bibles, because uh, I would probably not be putting up the scripture because of time." So this was Zacchaeus. Uh, this is story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. No surprise he was wealthy because he was a tax collector. And especially because if you know the story of tax collectors in the Bible, they were unfair people, they cheated people, they increased rates a lot and then collected a lot of money, right? So he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Well, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Child. What a life. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see. Then you don't have to climb a sycamore tree. <laughs> I'm sorry. And he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Sinner because he was a tax collector. And remember what I said about tax collectors and being unfair and cheating people. So every other person that saw when um, Zacchaeus was, when Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house, they're like, ah, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. <sighs> like, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Hallelujah. So Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. And then, look at what, look at what comes to his head, to sell his possessions, right? And do you remember what we talked about? Remember the, the believers in Acts, the new ones that were added to the church that were just sharing their possessions with other people. Remember um, even the rich guy when Jesus said, oh, go and sell your possessions and come back. Just remember all these things and realize how it is actually a miracle of change desires. Your desires are realigned towards a particular direction. And I cannot even explain it totally, but it's, it's just amazing to see the precedence in scriptures. To see the precedence in scriptures, right? And we're going to see more. We're going to go through some more, right? Let's open our Bibles to Matthew thirteen forty-four. Okay, so Matthew thirteen forty-four. Please open your Bibles. And then, this is what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then his joy went and he sold all he had and bought that field ah let me read that again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field do you see it's it is treasure. The kingdom of God is a treasure. So there is a dispensation to this, right? There is, you know, when, when, when Jesus is telling the rich guy, oh, go and sell all you have. He's like, guys, like, oh, what will I do that I will have eternal life? What will I do that I will enter the kingdom of heaven? You have not seen it as a treasure yet. That's why God is testing the condition of his heart. Using that stethoscope and I was like, oh, go and sell all you have, right? Then guy will go sad. Why? Because he un- doesn't understand what he has received or what he would receive in the kingdom of God. He doesn't know the value of the kingdom of God, right? Remember that everything that we have now, like if you understand, this is what God did. God came as man and died our death. Think about the humility of it. Think about the shame of it, right? This is God. I mean, God. Uh, you know, some movies give us like even an idea to the amount of power that someone like God would have, and I feel like they don't capture it completely. When you think of people like Thanos, just power and people would disappear, all of that. I can just you know make things appear from nowhere and all of that, right? You have an idea, but like imagine someone with all that power. Imagine yourself, you know, even imagine yourself as a maggot. Imagine all the limitations of being a maggot. That's exactly what happened. And I'm going to read like some of what um, of that humility that Jesus Christ displayed. But now let's continue talking again about the gospel. Now, 
we've laid out a few things. It's a miracle of change that Christianity is a life that we have received, you know. And it's important to note that the gospel now is our utmost responsibility. You know, in John 3.16 tells us that this is how God loved the world, that he gives only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Then in First John 3.16, you see what your response is to it. You should be willing, you should be able to give your life even for your own brothers, right? And the gospel is a treasure. Salvation, new life in Christ is a treasure. It's a treasure. Look at Matthew 13.44. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. The only man discovered hidden in the field in his excitement. He hides it again and he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. We have received treasure. And then, now the gospel is our utmost responsibility as believers. We have seen it in, in scriptures. We saw even in the Great Commission when Jesus told disciples, go, make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And then you will see even in Second Corinthians 5.17 down to verse 19, and tells us that we are now ministers of reconciliation. Like it's as though God who was speaking through our mouths, using our mouths and telling people, be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. What we have received, we are meant to share it with the world. Hallelujah. It is an utmost responsibility for us. It's top of the list. You know, the purpose of a believer is to know Christ and to make him known. Right? So now you have known Christ, you still have a responsibility to bring other people into the family, right? And as children of the kingdom now, we are, we have responsibility, even as sons, we are responsible for the kingdom. And what are some of the things that the kingdom would expect of us? The gospel demands, it commands high demands for our resources. High demands for our resources, right? Yeah, you know, people always argue a lot about, uh, let me use for example now, concerts and they say oh uh, why should we pay to attend christian concerts and all of that and then the same people who pay like three thousand to four thousand euros to go and watch a movie i'm not saying going to the cinema to watch a movie is bad i'm just saying when you can do it <laughs> some people are now already feeling attacked so really their chest they're just like what's this guy saying like what's 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 those guys saying you know well, like it's the truth some people will now just if you could do that for a movie, right, then why not for the gospel? Why not for something that you are responsible for? Hallelujah. So, the gospel commands high demands for our resources. Especially because a lot of things will not move without resources, without money. You think, oh, oh, the, the gospel prosper in our hands. Oh, yes, we see the word of God move. It requires money to do so. That is that is part of how the world works. That's part of how the world works through money. When you need things, when you need to get things done, you have to pay for them, right? And so the gospel demands our resources, and they're not just money, our skills, our time, our entire commitment to making sure that oh, this thing, this thing must work, right? Let's check out a few scriptures. Let's open our Bibles to Luke eight one to three. Luke 8, 1-3 And this is what it says After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God The twelve were with him And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases Mary called Magdalene From whom seven demons had come out 
Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, <laughs> and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. You can see people already giving their resources, right? This is just some people were just looking at how some people were giving their resources to see the work of the kingdom move, right? Let's look at another example. Um, Second Corinthians eleven nine. Second Corinthians eleven nine. And this is what it says. It says, and when I was with you. And needed something. I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came in, came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and I will continue to do so. Right? So Paul is saying that he's sufficient of himself basically, like financially, like he is gallant, right? And he doesn't want to be a burden to anybody. He has kept himself from being a burden to anybody and he will continue to do so. And then he says something before that. He says, that those who came from the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what he needed. What they supplied was not. Uh, maybe you're thinking now that oh, maybe it brought prayers for him. He needed prayers. Oh, Paul, you're blessed in the name of Jesus. Oh, Paul, you're blessed. Nah, they probably brought food, things that would keep him. Probably brought food, brought uh, money, brought clothes, right? Material things. Exactly, that's the word. They brought material things for him. Right. So that is another example. Now, so we said that the gospel commands high demands for our resources. All that we have comes from the Lord. So there should be nothing too much to sacrifice. Right. And as long as there are people involved, there would always be a demand for resources. As long as there are people involved, there will always be a demand for resources. Right. Now, um, I want us to even go back to what we're saying about a treasure that we have, right? So as believers, we have a hope, right? And there are three things about our hope I want us to note. Three things about, three things about the hope that we have received in Christ. One, just as our spirit is saved, our body and soul will be saved likewise. Do we get that? One, just as our spirit is saved, our body and soul will be saved likewise. Right? The next point is number two. We have our inheritance reserved in heaven. We have our inheritance reserved in heaven. Number three. We are united with God forever. Hallelujah. We are united with God forever. We are united with God forever. So number one, just as our spirit is saved, our body and soul will be saved likewise. Number two, we have our inheritance reserved in heaven. Number three, we are united with God forever. We are united with God forever. Right? So let us, uh, let us continue. Like, we'll go, I just wanted for us to have this at the back of our heads about the hope that we have received. You know, you should understand the treasure that you have. You should understand what you have received, the value of what you have received. Hallelujah, you've been saved. You have an inheritance reserved in heaven. And this inheritance is God too. This inheritance is God. You have God. And then it says that you are united with God forever. Forever. Hallelujah. So think about that. And then 
think about that compared to financial things, compared to material things, how does it weigh? How does it compare? Right? How does it compare? It doesn't. So when we're singing that song and we're going, oh, something more than gold, I've got something more than gold. You actually do. Look at these three things. You actually have something more than gold. Hallelujah. So let us have that in mind. Right? And then we talked, we said as long as there are people involved, there would always be demand for resources. Now let us look at Revelations 3.17. Revelations 3.17 Revelations 3.17 Revelations 3.17 This was a letter to the church in Laodicea, right? And this is what it says. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched. Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Eesh, that's, that's, that's quite harsh, right? So, saying these people, oh, they think that they are rich, but they are, they are actually poor, right? They think that they are rich. And remember, remember that scripture we read, uh, the parable of the rich fool at the end, and it's like, oh, uh, even if you have like all the rich and material things, you can have all of that. Or you can still not be rich towards God. And it tells us that we should strive to be rich towards God. Hallelujah. Let's open Revelations 2, 8 to 10. Revelations 2, 8 to 10. Revelations 2, 8 to 10. And this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Smyrna... Right. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back and came to life again. That's Jesus. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Right. And then just let us tell these people, oh, I am aware about your afflictions, your poverty, yet you are rich. So it's important to know that you can, in this life, you can be materially buoyant, but not be rich towards God, right? And then you can be not buoyant in quotes and be rich towards God. All I'm trying to do now is just paint a picture around our minds about material things and possessions that we have. We respect our identity in Christ, right? So we've looked at, we just looked at some things here. So now, the questions I want you to have in your mind is, oh, so... You can be poor, but not rich in God. Oh, you can be rich, but poor in God. You can be rich, materially poor in God. Did you get that? Those are some of the questions I want you to have in your mind. And then, I want us to now see how people give. You know, we already talked about uh, the women that supported in, uh, that was in Luke 8, 1 to 3. And then we talked about the brothers from Macedonia that came in Second uh, Corinthians eleven nine. Now, let us look at Second Corinthians two one to nine. Second Corinthians two one to nine. Second Corinthians two one to nine. So I made up my mind that I would not make 
another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I have confidence in all of you that you should, that you would share, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to give you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Right? And this was, this was after he had written, um, first, the, the first, uh, epistle to the Corinthians. And then, in that first epistle, you know, well, well, there was something happening, uh, sexual in nature. And then Paul, Paul, should I say he went out on them? I don't think he went out on them because, yeah, or if there was any other person, it was like, oh, hey, fire, hey, fire, you are doing anything, but hey, fire. But Paul was reminding these people who he was. He was literally saying, oh, these things should not be named among you. Why? Because you are the temple of God. These things should not be named among you because of this, because of that, right? Um, so yeah, and then it continues, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. Wait, sorry. Okay, okay, I've seen it now. So instead of Second Corinthians two, it's actually Second Corinthians eight. Second Corinthians eight, and it says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they give as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They give themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Praise God. So Paul is already using these people to tell them. He's already, you know, we've talked about um, the, the women in Luke. We've talked about even when the Macedonian church went to Paul. That was, uh, that was in Philippians. No, yeah, Second Corinthians eleven nine, right? And then he's talking about them here again, Macedonian church. He's talking about them in Second Corinthians eight, and then he said, "Oh, he wants he wants to talk about he wants to talk about Macedonian church, how even in their extreme poverty, right? It, it was now in our days where you know you're going to church and you're hearing that oh the reason why things are not working and all of that is because you're not serving the Lord, you're not doing all of that, all of that." But now he's telling them that oh this church it they had extreme just just say that they they, they had poverty or they were in poverty calls it extreme poverty and he says that they welled up in rich generosity so they were poor but they gave they were poor but they were still generous they gave and this already gives you an idea that these were people that understood responsibility to the kingdom responsibility to the spread of the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let me continue reading it. And then tells them, oh, uh, they, they were even begging in verse 4. said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were begging, that, oh, please, let us give all we have. Like, we don't have much, but let, let us give. Like, imagine that kind of thing. Like, you are poor. You are poor, and they're just like, oh, how, how do I, I, I want to steal, I want to steal do it, right? And then Paul says that they exceeded 
our expectations. Our expectations. This is the kind of mindset that we are to have towards the kingdom. This is the kind of mindset that we are supposed to have with our possessions, with our money. You can really see that these people, in quotes, are putting their money where their faith is. They want to see the gospel spread. They want to see that people, even in the forefront, are, are getting blessed. They want to see that those people are, are okay materially. They don't have any need to be looking around, looking around, oh, how do we do this? How do we do that? Right? For them, there was nothing too much to sacrifice. There was nothing too much for them to sacrifice to the gospel. Right? And then, even if you read that scripture down, uh, says let's let's read to like verse nine so verse six says so we urge titus just as he had earlier made the beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part but since you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving right and in verse 8 says i am not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Like, oh God. <laughs> In verse 9 it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now hold up. Somebody's already thinking that, oh, like, when it talks, talks about, oh, though he was rich, you're like, oh, uh-uh. Jesus was very rich, oh, then he became poor. And there are some things that we just have to start telling ourselves now. And you would ask yourself, you ask yourself, was Jesus rich on earth? Was he rich on earth? Was he someone that, you know, dangote, kind of rich, that kind of thing? Why is he saying that, oh, though Jesus was rich, yeah, he became poor, right? So you have to start clearing up some obstacles in your head. That, oh, was Jesus rich? And then remember that this was the son of a carpenter. This was someone, <laughs> Jesus literally told someone that, oh, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? This, this is, this is who scriptures is calling rich, right? In quotes. Then think that, did Jesus make anyone materially wealthy? Did he make any, remember, is, is Jesus that gave that, that guy the savage reply of, oh, go and sell all that you have. Then come back you get the kingdom word that just remember that while you are thinking on it right so it could not have been about material wealth or anything let us read let's go back now remember i said we're going to talk about the humility of god so let's talk about philippians 2 so open your bibles philippians 2 i hope we're learning something i really do Right. So let us read. So I have my NIV here, but I don't want to read NIV. So let me read New King James. New King James. So this is what it says. It says, Let this mind be in you, which also which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Hallelujah. So now, when you think about it, when you think about, uh, oh, he was rich, yet he became poor. Look at, think of that, and look at that with the scripture. How did Jesus become poor? Anybody, anybody can can answer this, the question. How did Jesus become poor? Let me read it in the NLT. In NLT he says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Right? Think about that. That is the humility that we are talking about. That he took on flesh. Jesus became a man. Yes, honestly, by becoming man, that was it. So he was rich in the sense that he was God, like he had divine privileges, right? And then God took on flesh. In John, in book of John, chapter one, we read through to even like that first chapter, it talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was God. Right, and then when you come down, you also see, oh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man, and that same man died on the cross. He was obedient even unto death. Hallelujah! And, and then I told you, I told you, even you right now, think about yourself as a maggot. Think about all like you can do. Just, just think about the limitations of it all, right? This is what God literally did for us. Like that was humility to another scale, right? So he's saying that oh, even as Jesus could give up this these things, even as Jesus could give up divinity in quotes, to even when he became man, he was rich yet he became poor. Even though he did that, and now look at the Macedonian church, right? Macedonian church too, even in their deep poverty, they gave. They gave this would not hear word at all, right? He's saying that he wants them. He wants them even in that manner. He wants them to also give. Hallelujah. And then look at what in verse nine it says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." Hallelujah. So because of what Jesus did, because of becoming man and doing dying on the cross. We have become rich in the essence that now we have received the life of God. Hallelujah. We who were once dead in sin are now dead to sin and we are alive to God. Right? Then look at, just look at the picture he's painting already. He's telling them, <laughs> oh God. He's just, you know, soaking them in the reality of what they have received. Right? He's like, oh, you have received this treasure. Right? Look at what Christ did for you. Look at what Christ did for you. And then, I want you now to even compare it with what these people did. You understand that these people had an understanding. It says that he urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to Lord's people. And he exceeded our expectations. Right? In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Hallelujah. Praise God. These people knew what they had received. These people definitely knew what they had received right and then after us jesus mission wasn't to make anyone rich we have seen it the way he even replied some people you know the way he handled a lot of things in uh the accounts of the gospel 
he didn't make any more materially wealthy. He told somebody to sell all that he had, and he would tell somebody, "Oh, he doesn't have where to lay his head, though." So let us scrap that out. Jesus wasn't materially buoyant in quotes. The church in uh, in Macedonia, they were dealing with poverty too, right? But these people, they still gave, right? So. All of this is already pointing to you. You know, you go to churches or you go to different places and they're like, oh, because you don't have money, you're not serving God, or because you don't have money and things are not working right for you, maybe God is angry at you. But then you are seeing that it doesn't have a scriptural precedence for that, right? You have seen the Macedonian church. You have even seen um, Jesus. And Jesus wasn't poor. He wasn't poor, right? But he was like, uh uh-uh. Jesus that needed money and just went to <laughs> the river and there was a fish there and just removed coin from the mouth. So it's less regarded. It, I, I believe with all my heart, <laughs> if Jesus wanted anything in this life, <laughs> he would have gotten it. But then, remember, remember, remember that your life does not consist in the abundance of things that you own. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, um, now you you've seen that oh you have received a treasure right you have seen uh examples of people that were given in the in, in scriptures you've seen uh the woman in luke you've seen supporters of paul ministry in macedonia in macedonia you've seen even uh the macedonia church again in second corinthians 2 1 to 9 now who do we give to who do we give to right who we give to number one we give to the spread of the gospel. Who we give to, number one, we give to the spread of the gospel. Let's open our Bibles to Second Corinthians nine, ten to fifteen. Second Corinthians nine, ten to fifteen. And this is what it says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Right? Now we have seen even from this, this scripture that we give to the spread of the gospel. Right, he's telling them that oh, if they if they uh, perform this service, right, not only are they supplying the needs of Lord's people, but it's also overflowing many expressions of thanks to God because by this service, others will praise because other people will be rich too, and then they will be thankful to God, thankful to God, and also thankful for how this good news was able to come to them, and by extension, because your resources were involved. Right, their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, right, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Hallelujah. So we give for the spread of the gospel. We give for to the spread of the gospel. Um let us read Galatians six ten. 
Galatians 6.10 Let me open it Galatians 6.10 And it says Therefore, as we have opportunity Let us do good to all people Especially to those who belong to the family of believers Right So who do we give to? Number two We give to meet the needs of believers We've seen that from Galatians 6.10 Right Galatians 16 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, right? So there will be people, people who come up with needs, oh, people who come and meet you that, oh, they need so, so, and so, they're not able to pay for so, so, and so, they have so, and so need, right? You should be willing to give to it, right? You should be willing to say, oh, okay, uh, here, have this, right? And you might be thinking, remember that we have set even a precedence for this from scriptures. You saw the church in Acts. You saw how they, oh, they share their possessions with one another, right? You saw even how um, the the women, right, were able to supply to the needs of Jesus even in times like he was ministering and going around places, right? See the Macedonian church, right? You can see that there is generosity is such a culture for us as believers. And if even if we are generous to like every other person, how much more those who are in the household of faith, right? So you should be ready to give to the needs of believers, right? So that's number three. Number three, who we give to number three? We give to honor ministry gifts. We give to honor ministry gifts. We give to honor ministry gifts. Let's open our Bibles. To First Timothy five seventeen. First Timothy five seventeen. And this is what he says: it says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I like the way uh, NIV just. Put it out simply. Like, let me even read it in the KJV so that you see how the KJV puts it. The KJV says, "Let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially though they who labor in the word and doctrine." Right? It says labor in. So you should really see that it is not even an easy work for those people, right? To be teaching. You know, and I just said, oh, especially those teaching. And uh, preaching, but then KJ gives you like a a perspective to it. it. Says those who labor in the word and doctrine, it is not a small word. Calls it labor, labor. I'm just like right now. I was just thinking like laborers carrying like stuff, and then you know, maybe they press bread and just have to eat a lot. Almost, it is not. It is not even small work. Right, that they are doing, especially even for us here in Verify with Pastor Kenneth. Like, if Pastor Ken, he labors in the word. He labors. I was listening to like old, um, old teachings, and I was just remembering how we even had. There was one time in school in Covenant University where we had an eleven-hour Bible study, and we had a couple of those. Like that was such work, right? That was such. <laughs> oh, it's not just. Sorry of it all. It is no small work. 
so we should be willing to give to these people right now um the next thing we're going to talk about real quick uh i was thinking before that we know we have time to treat this but we will have time to treat it so let's talk about tithe let's talk about tithe <laughs> let's talk about tithe so i'm not even going to go um deep into it we're just going to uh, go through some of the basics of it So first of all What is a tithe? What is a tithe? And you know if this was a class I'd have probably been expecting an, a reply But because of the network And the lag and all that I'm just going to answer directly So it is simply a tenth of all That you own It's the tenth And it wasn't you know in the Old Testament If you check what what was it that they were giving us tithe Where did tithe originate from? It started with the Levites It started with the Levites And it was even a form of welfare for them Right? Because this way This was After they did the whole allocation of land Oh, this tribe This is your own This is your own portion This, this way they had They were not given any allocations These people This was literally their life Serving God Serving in temples Right? And how else are these people going to make any means? How else are they going to do anything? How it was going to be through the givings of the people, and that was what was called tithe. People were expected to give a tenth to them, right? And if we now check in the New Testament, as believers, are we commanded to tithe? It's I, I I'm tempted to even wait for a response. Are we commanded to tithe? Let me just wait a bit and see if the replies come in. Let me wait for a bit and see if the replies come in. <laughs> As believers, are we commanded to tithe? I've already given us the timeline for like when tithing was initiated in the Old Testament with the Levites. So as believers, are we commanded to tithe? And remember that if you, if you answer, you probably have to give, uh, your reason you remember that you probably have to give your reason let me see someone said yes so how are we commanded to tithe let, let us know like why why do you think so and you have to also have like scriptural backing you can't just say yes you have to show us <laughs> someone say we give 100% uh uh-uh, uh calm down calm down Calm down. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> are we... Um, said yes. Are we commanded to... I'd not say should we. Are we commanded to... Right? You know, you go someplace like here. Oh, you don't give your tithes. Things will be tight for you. You know, and then you bring up Malachi, uh, Malachi 3. So, are we commanded to tithe? No. No. Someone said no. But currently... You said yes So I'm really interested in knowing Why you said yes What is the precedence for it Okay Let me see Dolapo has not said anything yet Okay, let me just continue. Uh, okay, there's still some time. So let me just 
read, we're going to read Hebrews 7. I'm just going to read through. And then this is actually the only place in New Testament tithe, in quotes, is mentioned. Right? And this is what it says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. Melchizedek was such a strange person because like he there was no record of him from before he just appeared and I'm sure if you check the Old Testament you will see the story there he just appeared from nowhere right and it says to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness right and after that also king of sin which is king of peace talking about Melchizedek when it says king of sin king of righteousness king of peace and then Abraham gave him a tithe in verse 3 he says without father without mother without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of it but made like unto the son of God abided a priest continually so this guy there was no record of him you know if you check the Old Testament you will see like like a ledger and just records of all the priests all the Levites but Melchizedek was not there so it's when it says without father without mother without descent having neither beginning of days nor end of life Nobody knew where he came from, right? And it says, but made like unto the Son of God, abided a priest continually. So he was like, he was a priest, Christ. And Christ too is our priest, our high priest. Now, consider this great, how this great, how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tent of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to, to take the tithes of the people according to law, that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now, Abraham was given a tithe. Remember that Abraham was going to get, like, through Abraham, the sons of Levi were going to come. The sons of Levi, that's the Levites, had no one born yet, right? And Abraham was given a tithe to Melchizedek, right? Let's continue. But he whose descent is not counted from the received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that he, that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes, but there he received them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so, and as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, right? For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection whereby the Levitical priesthood, for under its people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Right? I'm talking about Jesus. For the priesthood changed, being changed there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he whom these things are spoken pertain to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Right? And basically, the part that I want us to really see from here is how even the Levites, the Levites were, they had not been born yet. They were going to come from Abraham. And Abraham was given tithe. The Levites who tithe to be given to were indirectly given tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is uh, likened to God, in quotes. Sorry, likened to Jesus, our high priest, right? In verse 3 where it says, about a priest continually. And in verse 7, it's just telling you, without contra- without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. 
the less is less of the better. Meaning Melchizedek was in a better position. Melchizedek was in quotes, uh, what's the word I'll use now? Yeah, better, was better than Abraham, in quotes, and he blessed Abraham, right? He's just showing you the superiority of Jesus' priesthood over that of Levitical priests. Right, because they were blessed by Melchizedek and likens Melchizedek to Jesus. Right, so what it was even talking about, uh, Titan here, <laughs> the whole Titan thing here was not, it was just to show you how it is that it was just showing you that there was superiority of Jesus's priesthood over that of the Levitical priests. It wasn't a commandment to say, Oh. People should give tithes, people should do this, people should do that. No. And even if we were to follow it strictly, right? The law, you know, a lot of us, we like to carry things on top of our head so much. We just like to carry things on top of our head. They said, Jews. The law was given to the Jews. But no, we, we want, we must be Jews by force. We, it must just happen, you know. You must just, just be a Jew. Eh? Right? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. But you're not. <laughs> the law was not given to you. The Bible calls us Gentiles. Like, as far as you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. It's not even, it's like, it's not something for us to argue. And these laws were not even given to us at all. Right? But they also serve as a guide, right? Beautiful. So, you already see that, okay, like okay, so now Gideon, what are you saying? Are you saying I should not give to the gospel? Are you saying uh like I should not do this, I should not do that? I've already laid out precedents for you, I've shown you, I've told you that who you should give to, I've shown you how even people in the New Testament, the church, the extra members that were added, they were just sharing their possessions, they were giving, I've shown you the Macedonian church, they were in deep poverty and yet they gave. I've shown you that you have received a miracle of change desires. You have received a new life. I've shown you that you have a hope. We listed three things about the hope that you received, right? You see that you have a treasure in Matthew thirteen forty four. If really the gospel is all of that to you, then how much more any other thing? What is any other thing compared to that? Compared to the treasure that you have received in God. God did something similar for us, right? Um, where he tells us in Romans that if God could give his son, then how much would he withhold any other thing from us? He's saying if God could give his best, right? Is there any other thing that he could not give us, right? So if you have received such a treasure, something more than riches, something more than possessions, is there anything that you cannot give up? Now you would understand, oh, why would... Uh, Jesus asked the man to go and sell all his possessions. It is a test for the condition of your heart. Have you actually received a treasure? Then giving your money, giving your skills, giving your resources would not be an issue. You would give generously. Now you can understand where the Macedonian church, where their head was at, that they were begging that, oh, please, let us, let us help out. Let us supply these people materially. Let us help out, right? Put your money where your faith is. Put your money where your faith is. And if this gospel is what you say it is, if it's a treasure, if it is truly something you rejoice in, then we will see it. 
it will not be hidden at all. We will see it and we will see it clearly. Hallelujah. And then there's the only song that we're singing like before we started by we'll study uh My wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than just to know his love. My heart is set on Christ. Hallelujah. And I will count all else as lost. The greatest greatest of my crowns mean nothing to me now. I counted up the cost and all my wealth is in the cross. Hallelujah. So under some words that says something more than gold, I've got something more than gold. The spirit of God in the heart of man is something more than gold. Like nothing, no possession in this world would compare to it. No possession in this world would compare to it. And if that is so, show it. I mean, I remember, uh, this is just like a personal experience and it's not even a precedence for doctrine, please. I remember I was, we were at service in church. And they were supposed to give offering and honestly I was broke at the time. And then I looked in my pocket. I can't remember. I think I had just had how much in my account. It was, uh, I can't remember. But I put, I, I literally put in everything and at the end, after giving, I think I just had either two digits or like three digits in my account. <laughs> and then for me, like, as I said on the, at first I thought, ah, what, how would I, survive and all of that and then i just i was just like nah like god is able to take care of me and we read something like that uh we read something like that a while back i said that god is able to take care of me and god is able to even supply more for me to be able to give more and i want to give i want to see the gospel spread right and then i gave that money and i remember immediately i stepped out or like when i was on the road i just i received an alert like guys i received a wonderful alert <laughs> Like I said, it's not a precedence for doctrinal fleas. I'm not saying you should carry, you know, I don't think you should not save or you should carry all your money and just go and, if you want to share, nobody's stopping you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. God is able to supply even more for us to give, right? We just need to be willing to put our hearts in the right place and say, oh, I will give to the spread of the gospel. Oh, I will give to see other believers prosper. Oh, I will actually give to my ministry gifts. I will give to people that labor in the word, people that preach and teach the word of God, right? That's, that's, that's basically what we're talking about here. Put your money where your faith is. I've shown you where you can put that money. I've shown you how you should see money and possession. Your life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. That is not what it consists in. It is in Christ. Your life is hid in Christ in God. Hallelujah. You have received a treasure. You have received a treasure. One that is able for you. You're able to say uh, nothing else compares. You're able to go and sell everything you have. To go and buy that field where you found that treasure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want us to be corrected. I want us to be instructed. I want us, whenever you know, like whatever means you see when you're giving in church, don't think of just ten percent. Don't think of just the tight, right? Go all out for the gospel. Go all out for the gospel. Think of it. Oh, how much do I want to see the gospel spread? Right. I remember that God is going to make you to be able to abound in that grace of giving. God is able to do that. You know, be, be greater than what you're, you're expecting or what, what you, what you think is possible. Hallelujah. So don't just think, oh, like Cromwell said, give, give, just give the 100% to just give to see the work. Be generous in your giving. Let it be that, you know, other believers and even your pastor will come and say, ah, come, this one I are giving like this. 
are you are you alright? Are you are you or is everything alright? Are you sure you have enough? You know, let 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 them ask. Shop shop like let the gospel let it be that you sit down and other people you can look and say ah with my resources the gospel has reached you know far and wide. Hallelujah. Praise God. So don't just think ten percent. Think of entirety. Think of entirety. And as much as we are not commanded to uh give tithes in the New Testament also remember that yeah without without uh without resources <laughs> the work of ministry it's not move so put yourself out there put yourself out there to be able to give you know god loves a cheerful giver be able to give be willing to give why because you know that you have a treasure you have a treasure and then you want to see that treasure you want other people to see that treasure you want to share it with other people you want <laughs> like guy that man found treasure and went to sell all that he had. Nah, nothing is too much for what we received. Nothing is too much for that hope that we have received. Like, look, look, did you see those three things you said? Just as your spirit is saved, our body and soul will be saved likewise. Right? Said we have an inheritance reserved in heaven. And number three, we are united with God forever. Ugh. What, what 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 else? What is it now? Is it is it five hundred naira? Is it one thousand naira? Is it one million naira? Like these are things that will count for eternity and then is 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 fifty thousand naira cannot is is one million naira cannot give. <laughs> it's not super happy too much. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. Where is your heart? Where is this truly a treasure to you? Sure it. Hallelujah. So, uh, let's just pray. Let's just pray a bit and then we'll worship too. But I just want to pray a bit now before we go. I'm just going to be saying that, Lord, we give ourselves fully to the work of ministry, to the work of your kingdom. We are responsible with the gospel. We give our resources. We give our time. We give our money. Oh, Father, we put our money where our faith is. We show that truly we have received a treasure. Oh, come on, begin to pray. Oh, Father, we show that we have really received a treasure. We show that this company, there's nothing else compares to what we have received. Oh, Father, we want to see other people come to it. We want to see other people share what we have received. Thank you because we are united in you. Thank you because we have an inheritance in you. Thank you, Father, because in you, oh God, ah, thank you for even the fact that we are saved, that we are forgiven in you. Oh, Father, we are grateful. We are grateful. Oh, we give generously our, our resources and we know that you are able, oh God, even to supply unto us more to see the work move. We know that even you, you desire to see men saved. This is your primary goal. This is where your heart beat lies. Oh, Father, we give to the work and we give generously. We give to other believers. We give to our ministry gifts, even to Pastor Kenneth. Oh, Father, we give because we know these people labor. These people labor in the word. These people labor in ministry. Oh, Father, thank you. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So, let's just sing that song again. We're just going to sing that song again. And before we go. So, yeah.
So please, guys, remember, remember when you are giving, give in mind that there is a greater treasure. <laughs> there is something greater. Hallelujah, praise God. The title of the song is Crowns Hill Song Worship. Hill Song Worship. Yeah. So right now, let's just share Vivify Grace. Ha ha ha. Let me just put it up for us. 
So everybody want to go. We are the sons of God, heads of salvation, born of the spirits, for we have been saved by his death, raised by his life. Oh, talk about treasure. We live in him, by him, and for him forever. And he lives in us because we have been verified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So have a wonderful week, guys. Have a wonderful week of giving. You know, for some of you, uh, there was really, you know, your heart, like things to do, instructions to do, um, things to give to, ministries to give to, causes to give to. Please, please, please do that. Praise God. And have a wonderful week. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.